Welcome to X-Files Podcast, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts, and moving on. I'm Janice Formicella, a breakup coach passionate about supporting others to heal from their breakups, overcome loneliness, love being single, and see the end of a relationship as the beginning of a magical new chapter in life. I am here each week to share with you the tools that I have learned through my own painful breakups, through hitting rock bottom more than once, and through working with people all around the world to heal their broken hearts. If you are looking for hope and strength to move on from your breakup and resources to enjoy your new single life, you are in the right place and I've got your back. If you push play on today's episode, I am truly excited for you. You are about to listen to a conversation that may completely change the way you do relationships and therefore the way you do life, if you let it. <laughs> Today, I am welcoming my friend and colleague, Danny Sakeda, pronouns she, her, to the show to chat with me about nonviolent communication. Danny is a truly magnetic person doing important work for the world. She has credentials to back it up. Danny has a master's degree in social communication from the New School University of New York. She has dedicated herself to studying and teaching inclusive language in the media, being invited to participate in workshops, training sessions, and discussion tables all around the world on the subject. And get this. She has worked in the Gender and Race Equity Program of Brazil's National Secretariat of Policies for Women. It is an honor to welcome her today. Please grab your pen and paper and take notes. I met Danny at the beginning of my podcast and coaching journey when she was the Director of Global Communication for Ella Global Community, a community for LBTQ women and non-binary individuals present in over 150 countries. I do live coaching for the community once a month, and it has been a joy to get to know her through that role. Before we get started, please pay attention to a few key points from today's episode. First, the power that nonviolent communication has in preventing breakups. Next, the positive power that it can have in encouraging breakups. Third, baby steps that you can take to start to influence everyone around you through your communication style. Next, tools for processing anger. That's an important one after a breakup. <laughs> and last, the role of self-compassion when working to improve our relationships. Please also head to the show notes for the resources mentioned in the episode. Oh, <laughs> and in case you're wondering, by the end of this episode... 
My partner and I did do our planned check-in today, and it went great. And with that, here's Danny. Hey, Danny. Welcome uh, once again to X-Files. You were on the show ages ago talking about your, your work with Ella Global Community. I will link to that in the show notes, everybody. It's in like the early days of the podcast when I had first started my relationship with Ella. And it's been now a couple of years that I've been volunteering for Ella. And if anyone wants to go and check it out, please do. It's Ella Global Community. They have really amazing events. They have a great community of women who are supporting each other all around the world. I do typically monthly um, live events for them that I really, really, really love. So I'm thankful for our friendship and hello. <laughs> hello. Yes. I'm so happy that we have this steady ongoing relationship now for over a year. Yep. Yeah. I am as well. <laughs> I can't wait to and meet yes. you in person. <laughs> yeah, like you said, it's a community for LBTQ plus women and, and non-binary people. And it's, yeah, it's become this very strong community where there's a sense of belonging and we help each other. And sometimes we just have fun together <laughs> or we get to have awesome people like you who come over and just talk to us. And it's, it's truly amazing. It's a blessing to be a part of that community. So I agree. Yeah, thanks for mentioning it. Yes, I always look forward to the events that I that I do with the with the community. Well, and then uh, during one of the events, you surprised me or with mentioning that you did workshops on nonviolent communication. And I just sure. jumped right on it because it's a topic that I've been wanting to cover on the show for a while. But I, while I've read the book, I haven't done trainings in it. I sometimes practice it, but I, I, it was definitely a topic that I felt I wanted to have an expert on to, to discuss. So I was excited when you mentioned that. Thank you for coming on to speak to the community about it. It's my pleasure. And I think it's actually quite dangerous to have me as the expert in nonviolent <laughs> communication, because I like to start by saying that I don't believe we're capable of being nonviolent all the time. Yeah. So even if you're committed to uh, nonviolent communication, I highly doubt that you're going to have, you're going to be able to keep it up. You know, if you think of us as a species, we are violent, you know, mm -hmm. just as much as we are loving. And I think I would start with that. I'm actually perfectly happy for you to put that little caveat out there. So, and I'm looking forward to this discussion. Um, I wanted to do this topic because so many of my clients say that they want to learn how to do relationships better after a breakup. Some people hold themselves responsible for the breakup. A lot of people feel that they didn't communicate well in their last relationship. And I also think that besides just relationships, people in general want to work on themselves after a breakup because it's, you know, a time that it's just you. And I think that this is something where you could start. I also think based on a lot of experience being a human and a coach that people struggle with communication. It probably leads to <laughs> uh, most of the conflicts that people have with each other. And so I know that this works. I don't know. What do you think about this? I once had a therapist tell me, not my therapist, that she felt if everybody learned nonviolent communication, that she would go out of business because people wouldn't, <laughs> people wouldn't need therapy anymore. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but she was, that's how passionate this particular person was about it. 
I, I think she could maybe go out of business because people would believe that they don't need therapy. But <laughs> yeah. when you understand nonviolent communication, you see how needed therapy is mm -hmm. because it all comes from the sense of understanding essential needs. So essential needs of you as a human, mm -hmm. as a being and respecting the fact that if you have your needs, so do I, and they are just as valid. And then of course, if you really, if we could really come to that utopia where everyone can practice nonviolent communication 24 hours a day, all the time, the issue would be that maybe very fast, we would then realize that we shouldn't be together because our needs just don't match. I definitely want to say that this is about preventing and avoiding breakups, but communication is not the only thing that causes issues in relationships. There are true compatibility problems. So while this will definitely help in the future, it's not the only thing that will prevent a, a breakup. So before we get into what nonviolent communication is, I thought it might be interesting based on what you just said. What do you think about the difference between a need and a want? Because that's one thing that I've kind of struggled with with NVC, because I believe that I can pretty much take care of most of my own needs. And so I find myself when I'm talking with people, with partners, that I'll often catch myself and say it's something that I want rather than something that I need. Do you think that there, that's an important distinction? Do you have any opinion about that mindset of mine? I think it's an important distinction if you're really going to look at nonviolent communication as a tool. I like to think of nonviolent communication as your training wheels on your bike. Like you're not supposed to be thinking about them. So yes. they're there to give you support. So nonviolent communication is a tool. If I teach you to, you to use a wine opener, great. But if you just want to open that's the want if you just want to open the bottle you can smash it against the wall it's open but that's maybe not your need your need okay. is to have a glass of wine what you actually need is the feeling of having that beautiful glass of wine in your hands and then it's better if you use the proper tool to get the wine out of the bottle yeah so i think when you're talking about needs and wants maybe you can say you know i'm pretty good at just uh, providing myself my own needs Fine. But then let's say that one of your needs, because this one is pretty much universal, is a sense of belonging. So maybe right now, it's not your top priority. Right now, as we're talking, it's not your top priority to feel like you belong with mm -hmm. me here in this moment, but it's okay. there, you know? And mm -hmm. then, but maybe when you come into a new group of people or it's a new school or back when you were in college, it was high up on your list of needs. But when you need that sense of belonging, you now want me to be kind to you. You now want me to be welcoming. And I guess that's where people get it mixed up. Like, is this a need? Is this a want? People who are the scientists and, and psychologists and, and, and psychiatrists who understand human behavior and study human behavior, they say that as a group of people, as a group of beings, there is no action that is done without a need. We breathe because we need, we walk because mm -hmm. we, we need it. So if you take that into consideration, there is always a need. We could spend hours going through a list of needs, list of emotions, list of wants. And why don't we learn all these words when we're growing up? You know, and so everything becomes so dichotomic. Are you happy? Or are you unhappy? Are you angry? Are you pleased? 
And there are so many more things there that we don't talk about, but that's okay. That's something that we can Google. What is good, I think, when we're talking about nonviolent communication, either with people who want to start using it or learning about it, or people who have been studying it for over 15 years like me, is to understand that it is just a recipe. And you have to add your own spices to it. Yes, and practice a lot. No recipe is typically perfect the first time. And it does take a lot of practice. And I've been practicing in my own life this past week. And I do, I will say, it's definitely not second nature. This is something that you need to be aware of. And there's some cute stories in the book about how people did learn how to do it with sticky notes and things, which I actually, I put put a little little, little guide here (laughs) (laughs) together (laughs) because my partner and I are working on some of this stuff. And I've actually got a couple of recent uh, stories from my own life that I think will be highly relatable that I may pull into this. Cool. How long have you been doing this? Unofficially, I say that I, that I um, started studying um, nonviolent communication and human behavior at a very young age, around nine or 10, when I realized that my parents couldn't communicate. Oh, with that's each other. very perceptive for a nine or 10 year old. <laughs> it truly is because I became the peacemaker. And um, so I had to very fast understand what they were doing. 15 years ago, I actually uh, formally started taking classes on nonviolent communication and understanding the work of people who before me were studying nonviolent communication from um, the person who actually created the term to then different women who came into the game and started talking about it and understanding the different perspectives of it. Of course, if you're a white cis man, you're looking at nonviolent communication in a way that it's maybe easier than if you are a, a, a Latina, for example, such as myself living in the US, it's a little harder to not take things personally. It's a little harder to just let things go, Yes, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Thank you so much for making sure to point that out. And that's a wonderful segue into what a lot of people are probably like, hello, get to the point. What is nonviolent communication, my dear? Yeah. Okay. So nonviolent communication Mm -hmm. is normally described as a set of tools that you can use to... Feel empathy for the person who you're communicating with, but also it's almost in a way you help the person understand also where you're coming from. It comes from the sense that if you understand, there is no war. That if you understand, there is no reason to fight. And then, of course, when we're talking about romantic relationships and friendships and and intimacy, a lot of people are going to say, but fight, fight is necessary. And I'm not going to go against the grain on that one. That is fine. But it's also there's a way of fighting. So when you're thinking about, yeah. So when you're (laughs) thinking about nonviolent communication, for me, the most important thing is to understand that when we talk about communication, we're not just talking about talking. We're talking about listening. So if you Google nonviolent communication, you're going to see four steps, right? You're going to see, Mm -hmm. oh, observation, understanding, asking, and you're going to go through that recipe. The more and more you read and learn about it, the more you understand it starts with listening and first listening to yourself and then to those around you. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but I do think that a lot of people do wait to talk and that's a horrible habit. And it's also something that once you can get out of that habit, all of your relationships will become a lot better. And because he has helped people all around the world to learn how to communicate better, 
in their life. I do want to say that it was started by Marshall B. Rosenberg, PhD. He's the author of the book, Nonviolent Communication, Language of Life. Amazing. So, His courses are available for free online. Oh, and that's I, how I started. Free. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. I have mentioned the book and, and recommended the book so many times on X-Files. And I had actually Googled just today nonviolent communication classes. I didn't get very far because I've been hella busy, but that is great to know. Everybody go and check that out. Hours and hours of his classes and courses and workshops. I mean, when I started studying, it was hard. I would, I would have to go to the library at the new school in Manhattan and look for old videos. But today it's like so easy. Amazing. Everybody go. And I mean, if it's online and it's free, you've got no excuse. So before we get into the process and some of the core tenets, let's talk about just how it's impacted your life. Can you, you know, maybe share how it's improved your romantic or your familial relationships? Definitely. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, impacted my life. Start before I get into my personal life professionally, because it became my career. It became that thing that back in the day, nobody was really talking about it. And then it was like, oh, you know, you hire this girl and she comes with this idea, you know, like I was 19, 20, talking about nonviolent communication. Hmm. Of course, once you start studying something, if you really believe in it, and I think this goes for anybody. I have people who work in the movie industry and they can't watch a movie without looking at camera movement and lightning and and all that. I'm very passionate about feminism and it can sometimes be challenging to watch pretty much anything. (laughs) There you go. So of course, with nonviolent communication, especially at first, when you start reading about it, you're looking for the form everywhere you go, right? Mm-hmm. The, the brain for it by itself wants to look for patterns. And when you were studying something like nonviolent communication, it became something that I was observing in every exchange, which then becomes a little robotic, which is not nice, not what you're looking for. With time, the more I understood that it had to be the tool plus what goes underneath, the ethics behind it the understanding of your needs, the understanding that you might do something that I consider awful, maybe for the same need that I have. And how do I communicate that that hurts me? Or how do I listen to you without just waiting for the moment when you're going to breathe so I can then jump back? (laughs) Because that's the thing. And in my personal life, what happened was that it allows me to have a much better relationship with my father, for example, who's somebody who I grew up fighting with, adoring and hating. I always say it's a love-hate relationship with him. Nonviolent communication helped me protect myself. Because it's not just about doing something good for the other. It's also about that, but also for ourselves. You can't give what, you're not, you, what you don't have. I can't give you peace if I don't have any. So it helped me a lot with that. In my romantic relationships, I, I should have brought all my exes. I have very good <laughs> recommendation letters. I think, yeah, I you think have to express that over the years, which I, th- yeah. I think that that's actually a lovely thing. I don't advocate that just because I mostly see how destructive True. the end of relationships are. But from your experience, like you haven't ha- had that. And so I, I think that I that's haven't. probably like kind of the exception to the rule and that it's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it's all because of nonviolent communication. Okay. Come on, that would be <laughs> such a stretch. But I believe communication helped a lot. It, oh. it helped even the bad breakups. When when some space was necessary for a while, it also helped the bridging back 
into. I actually am wondering if instead of, you know, like avoiding breakups, it could be better breakups with nonviolent communication. Totally. That could almost be the title, <laughs> which I mean, I, I'd like that in my own life. My relationship just always, you know, completely blow up in my face. <laughs> I think it goes, I think it could help both cases. Yeah. Because if you, if you understand the idea, okay, so if you talk about nonviolent communication, no, but tell me what it is about. And then I say, okay, there will be four steps to nonviolent communication. You're going to do observation. You're going to understand your feelings. Then you're going to be able to express, to understand your need. And then finally, you're going to express what you want from the other person. Okay, that's beautiful. That's a recipe. But then when you talk, and I think that is the key to, to nonviolent communication, is differentiating what it is to hear something and what it is to listen to it actively and deliberately and with intention because we don't learn that. Well, this actually brings up a really good point of the reasons why we kind of need this framework. And that is because of the ways in which people normally do interact and engage with each other. And they, this is covered in the book. And I was hoping maybe that you could walk us through a couple of these foundational ways that people often interact with each other, especially when there's conflict, because I think that probably a lot of people listening will not realize that they do it and won't have a language for it. So that is moralistic judgments making comparisons and denial of responsibility. So what is a moralistic judgment and how does that show up in, I guess, yeah, a romantic relationship? First, let's start like this. If you okay. ask anybody, go out with a group of friends, uh -huh. ask them, when was the last time you won an argument? When was the last time, last fight you had with your girlfriend? Uh -huh. Who won it? Like, there's always the sense that someone is going to win. Right. And that I think is the first thing that we have to understand that does not work for the common goal. If the common goal is being together, winning a fight or an argument doesn't help. And if the common goal is to break up, winning the fight doesn't help it either. Oh, it wow. That's so poignant. And I mean, kind of basic, <laughs> but in a way, I've never really thought of it like that. Wow. Because that's not how we learn. We learn to be, we go to debate teams. So we learn to argue. We learn to prepare to argue, to fight back. So when you think about, for example, moralistic judgment, just the word by itself, like when you think about it, when you're judging someone based on your morals, your set of beliefs, your set of right and wrong, very rarely, you're going to find someone who agrees with you in all points. Mm -hmm. You might say, this is a great relationship. I get along so well with this person. We've been dating for five years and it's amazing because we have the same morals and the same principles. Fine. All of them? Of course not. So when you take that into consideration and when a situation happens and straight away, I am judging you. Oh, so you did this because... You don't care or because you are unethical or because you don't like you. <laughs> oh, now I understand. Mm -hmm. You always pick these movies because you don't like it when Latinas are the main character. <laughs> Based on what did I say that? Mm -hmm. On my judgment 
of what of how you live your morals how you express your morals and principles i don't know if that was such a good example but if you think of another one well it was let's... a very specific example i know i know we had that argument <laughs> at some point in life okay what about what about making comparisons what does this mean and what would be a common way that this would show up with people this one is actually a hard one for me personally mm-hmm. because i feel like sometimes if i let go i'm the first one to make the comparison and not necessarily to say that my day was worse than yours or that you being late for my mother's birthday was worse than me being late to pick you up when we were going to the movies that's something that we do frequently i tend to jump in thinking that i'm going to make the person feel welcome by sharing something that happened to me that maybe was just as bad or even <laughs> worse mm-hmm. and i tend to do that because i lived in different countries and had to learn different languages and it was a way for me to make sure that i understood or that the person knew that i could understand them but that's just an excuse that i use because i know i'm doing something that i'm not supposed to but it's like this imagine you call me and you say you know i had a terrible day had an awful time at work and this happened or something happened with a family member kids whatever it is and then i say oh you think you had a bad day sorry you had a bad day but you have no idea what happened to me and then i add everything that happened to you on a flat tire mhm that does not help anybody but sometimes and, and that's when i say it's a set of tools that we're not going to be able to use all the time without thinking about it but yeah that would be like an, an easy example that i believe all of us have been on one side or the other yes and i guess that would maybe come from a need for compassion possibly if you feel like you've been having a really hard time and you're not giving yourself compassion you may you might want it from others and so making sure that people know how bad you have it might be a way of trying to elicit that It could be but also I think it's imagine when you go to a group of people and you want to be friends with everyone who likes vampire movies again me so I want to be <laughs> friends with more people who like vampire movies it's also good that feeling that I'm going to say something that maybe other people find silly and in that group of people everyone will say oh god yeah i understand i feel the same way i've been through that so it's tricky when it comes to nonviolent communication and they say you know don't compare and don't throw in something that happened to you when the person's telling you because that person needs to talk and that's mm-hmm. why i go back to active listening because yes. that's something we don't learn some of us as women uh growing up in countries that maybe aren't so progressive and um women are still put in the uh, second citizen category we have learned to obey very fast so we have learned that when a man tells us to do something we do it but we do it out of fear we don't do it because we're necessarily listening to what that request is and this part of listening is tricky like i said we learn to debate we learn how to speak properly we learn all the time in school we're presenting projects but we don't necessarily learn to listen to understand what it means to listen to you without jumping without cutting you even if it is to say i've been through the same i hear you 
Right. Yeah. It reminds me of in 12 step programs, when you go to the actual meeting, one of the rules is no crosstalk because some people want to jump in and engage with the person speaking in order to feel like we're all relating to each other. Exactly. However, (laughs) this is that person's time to be seen by the whole group. And so people are meant to quietly listen. And then the third way that people often communicate that can become toxic and dysfunctional is denial of responsibility. I mean, this kind of seems a little obvious, but can you talk to us about this? Well, the denial of responsibility, I think, goes with the way that we learn that arguments have to happen. That is, somebody's going to be the winner. So if you want to give me responsibility for something that you're feeling, for me, it's easier to say, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. Or you didn't understand me right. Then to actually listen to what you're saying and then either apologize for it. it, Because it's okay to explain yourself. A lot of people say, don't explain yourself when you're apologizing. I disagree. I think sometimes it's good. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. what we need is to understand where the person's coming from. But can we do it? Because it's hard, you know? So the first thing when someone's telling them, telling you that you're responsible for something or that you've hurt them, it's not up to you to say that you didn't. So the person says you hurt them, yeah. you hurt them. End mm-hmm. of story. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a difference between intention and impact. And exactly. we're also, we are responsible for the impact and yeah. need to take that into, into account. Yeah, but it is difficult because if we go, if, if, if we think about the way that we've been raised and, and in most countries I've lived in, that's how it goes. It's like, who is to blame for this? This relationship didn't work. Who's to blame? We didn't make it to the party on time. Who's at fault? So somebody has to take the fault. Somebody has to say, yeah, it was me, my bad. But that's also an issue. And if it was your fault... It's also okay to say, yeah, 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 that was me. I'm sorry. I can, and then be meaningful when you apologize, please. It's like one of the things that uh, I find people have a struggle with is understanding how to apologize, which is also part of nonviolent communication. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry you feel that way is not an apology. <laughs> exactly. Actually- <laughs> oh God, I had an argument about this two weeks ago. <laughs> like, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Yeah. What, did you slip yep. up and hurt me three times? So yeah. how did you do that? Yeah. And I know that a lot of people struggle with the denial of responsibility. In fact, it came up in my marriage quite a bit. My husband would would very often say, it's not my fault you feel that way. It's it's not my fault you're upset. Exactly. That marriage did not last. So let's talk about the process of nonviolent communication. I'm going to state the process and you can walk us through what it means. In fact, even having read the book, I mean, it was a while ago. I will say I haven't been very conscious about it always, especially in my romantic relationships. So I'm kind of looking forward to this as a bit of a refresher myself. So there are four steps, stating observations, then feelings, then needs, then requests. How does this work? What does it mean to state an observation? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go through this as a recipe, but let's just Commit our, all of us here to the fact that a recipe is just a recipe, something that someone wrote down and we don't necessarily have to follow it through. But in the yeah. beginning, we do, right? Mm-hmm. So the first time we're going to make whatever it is, pasta, you're going to read what it says in the box. 
by now I'm assuming most of us don't have to read it anymore. We know <laughs> that we have to boil yeah. water first. <laughs> so let's right. think of, of, of these four <laughs> steps like that, because like I said, it's like training wheels and ideally one day you're going to remove them and it's just going to be there with you. It's going to be just something that you ethically do it, that you emotionally do it, that you consciously have in you that you have empathy for others and can communicate. But okay, so observation. <laughs> the observation is a good one because people think when they are when they are telling a story or when they are explaining a situation, we tend to believe that we're stating facts. Right? Mm -hmm. And that can be very dangerous. Because when I'm stating facts, I'm assuming that what I'm saying is undeniably the truth. So I can say something like, come on, Janice, you never do the dishes. Mm -hmm. And I've observed that. Have you really? Mm -hmm. Never, ever <laughs> you've done the dishes? Mm -hmm. Like not once in your lifetime? And the danger with that is the other person is going to say to you, what do you mean never? I did it. I did it in 1994 on the day we met. <laughs> I was the one doing the dishes. And the argument's over. Like whatever I wanted to say to you, is now ruined. So an observation is never the idea that you're stating the fact. It's just your point of view about the story. And it has to go beyond what you believe is the fact. So not doing the dishes or arriving late or being on the phone while we're having dinner. I had a friend uh, talk about this, that her husband is constantly on the phone while they're out having dinner. That's not just the observation. The observation has to see the environment around you. So it's he's always on the phone when we're out having dinner and he is playing a video game and not listening to what I'm saying. Or I feel like he's not listening to what I'm saying. And you, you see how the more details you put into your observation, the more accurate it becomes. I had a thing with my boyfriend last weekend and we were making plans for that night and I it was Sunday and so I had also sent him some cute articles about a book that we were reading and he just kind of fell off the face of the earth I mean he just like wasn't responding for seriously like five or six hours and, okay. I, and I I don't know I'm not really the type to like text me back right away at all like seriously I like my space probably more than most people but when he finally got in touch we actually did end up being late for the event because you know we hadn't really communicated about what we were both expecting to do and so I and I said it just really would have been nice if you were text back sooner and he had was trying to get some work done and so it actually did end up turning into an argument actually which I'm yeah. embarrassed to admit but listeners I'm a human too so what would my observation have been rather than saying that or did I say it correctly I don't know <laughs> <laughs> well your observation I'm open to that as well <laughs> well you stated the fact right the fact was that you sent, uh, you were talking, you were texting each other, and all of a sudden he stopped texting. It was like, boom, just like, just stop. <laughs> yeah, and that, that, that was a good observation because that's probably exactly exactly what happened. I have a friend who also studies nonviolent communication, and she always says, you know, this thing with the printing conversations, it's taking nonviolent communication to a, the observation part to a different level because you keep going back to the prints oh to make sure everyone knows what we're talking about. What, what maybe was missing from, I don't even know if it was missing or if you were aware of it, is that the communication was flowing in a way and it changed without any 
warning. He could have said, I'm, I'm going to put my phone away. I'm not even going to look at it because I have to focus here for five hours mm -hmm. <laughs> or for however long he needed. But then there would be no argument, right? Mm -hmm. And But your observation was correct. There was a flow of communication. Yes. That flow of communication stopped. Is this unlikely? Is this out of character for him? The, I'm, I'm assuming yes, because that's why you then got upset. So yes. yeah, correct yes. observation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Thank it was you unexpected. So yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people could relate to that specific scenario. So I thought um, as I was prepping for this, I was like, I'm, I'm going to bring that little argument into it. So yeah. stating observations and everybody, yeah. again, there's resources online and in the book for like very detailed ways as to oh, how yes. to do this and yes. your know, quizzes and all, and all sorts of And really in the cool workshops, things. there are like, they do like uh, dramatization, the oh, right way to it. do it, the wrong way to do it. And it's amazing. Very cool. So stating observations, then feelings. So what's the next step all about? Okay. This, so, I think, is a tricky one. This is a tricky one, again, because we don't talk about it enough. If you, if you understand that every action we take as beings is because there's a need. So I, I breathe because I have a need. I wake up because I have a need. I go to work because I have a need. And then the needs can be very different, but they're normally universal. But it can be because I need to make money. It can be because I can't stay inside my house. Whatever it is, there is a need. There's a list of needs. Also, if you go online, you, you can print out lists and lists of needs. And I can say that everyone I know, when they started studying nonviolent communication, they would print out. This oh, list what a great of idea. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because we don't use them enough. So when you think about your needs, what are your needs? You know, oh, I have a need uh, to feel like I belong in, in the group where I am or at, at uh, my workplace. That's a need of mine. But it's pretty much universal. We all at some point want to feel like we belong more or less. And, and that helps a lot. What is another need? that you have. I have a need to be respected. I have a need to feel valued. And yeah, so, so in my case with this argument, I actually, so we had, I had a big fight the weekend before and I was, and I had expressed some previously that I had been feeling a little insecure about the relationship because of that. And so, you know, when he disappeared, it kind of, triggered in me some of the feelings of, course, of insecurity yeah. and you know things were getting a little heated by the time that I brought that up but I did say I'd already told you I was feeling insecure and that was felt really heightened when I didn't hear from you which I think I did it in more of a accusatory way than I probably should have <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm now I'm thinking and this got me thinking about the difference between needs and wants is it a need to feel secure or a want I think you need you have a need yeah probably okay to feel valued mm-hmm and then the way that you want to feel valued is that you want him to not just go MIA for six yeah. hours without doing something. Mm -hmm. And what you just said is so important in nonviolent communication because you said, I had already told you this. Oh, and God. then when you understand that you have already told him something and he still didn't act accordingly to what you would have done if somebody mm -hmm. had told you we go back to the moral Ooh. judgment we go back to not listening we go back to thinking that i can impose on you 
the way I would behave. Oh, that's and so then juicy. you say, "Oh, come on!" But then this is so boring. How are we going to have an amazing relationship with someone if we can't expect things? We can, and we should, and we will. Even if we say, "Listen, no strings attached." Every relationship that I have heard of, that people said, "You know what? I'm in this relationship with no strings attached." Inside, I'm laughing. There are always strings attached, even if it's just with yourself. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just that you are telling yourself. That you're not going to allow yourself to like that person, that is something that you, that that's a, an agreement that you have already made with yourself. Yeah. That puts an expectation on that relationship. But we, this is something else that we can talk about mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. hours and hours. I'll, I'll I'll even bring in different Netflix series to talk about this no strings attached idea. <laughs> so there, when you say I had already told you, and then you did it again, it's almost like you're saying, you know, come on, you don't value me, but has he said that has he told you what to him feels like being valued because mm-hmm. that's tricky you know a, a thousand percent and we had actually just been on holiday together and had had a wonderful time and so you're absolutely right he yeah. probably didn't cross his mind that that was something that could have helped me because things he had shown me <laughs> he had given me every reason to be because be it's, secure, like but, you said it's something mm-hmm. that you have to practice yeah it's something awesome. that i have to understand you know that i have to say okay so she needs extra reassurance of that i am committed right now for this week because it, you know, it shifts like in a couple months maybe it's him oh, yeah. who's I hope needing so. reassurance <laughs> but right now it's you so for me to understand that and say you know what i'm gonna text extra i am gonna let her know where i am i'm gonna let her know when i'm running five minutes i mean that goes a long way okay i say that extends the relationship <laughs> in at least a year yeah and i mean for the record i certainly don't expect him to tell me where he is but yes uh, yeah a thousand but you understand like, what i mean it's like it's that because it's not necessarily yeah. about you wanting to know where he is but right. maybe for someone else it is maybe someone mm-hmm. who's been cheated on when the person mm-hmm. disappeared for half an hour they can't handle the half an hour not knowing where the other person is mm-hmm. or maybe for someone and i mean c- come on it's like back to the doing the dishes thing like if i say i need you to do the dishes because i think i was reading this on instagram the other day about a woman who started throwing uh, the plates on the floor and looked at the partner and said now you don't need to wash them anymore <laughs> you know and it's like oh my god she's a lunatic <laughs> we don't know how many times she said i need you to do the dishes yeah and and she didn't need the other person to do the dishes she wanted the other person to yes. do the dishes what she needed probably was to feel like valued or to feel like it was balanced the relationship i remember in the comments people said you know she was watching over three kids so oh, yeah this person's tired exhausted what she needs is to feel like that she's valued that her value is equal to the other person's that her time is valued and yeah so this is also like the, the beauty about nonviolent communication is that if we start going step by step we have 100 different uh examples to dissect and most of us will feel i've been there mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. why i'm bringing up the text thing for, for a thousand percent so yeah. stating observations then feelings then needs then request what then the request. is a request and how do you state it again if you want a formula it's there okay it's gonna say you say because i feel x in situation y i need you to then do abc for me and it works 
Yeah. And in real words, what I'm trying to say is going back to, to your example is when you go MIA for six hours in a situation where I had just told you that I felt this way, or we were discussing where to go in the mm -hmm. evening, you make me feel like I'm not as important. You make me feel like I am putting in more into this relationship than you are. And then this is not good for me because if this is what's happening, I need to know. Mm -hmm. So you just, you're able to explain a situation in a much better way than just saying, don't stop texting me. <laughs> That's not what you mean. That's not even, what, you know, like if the mm -hmm. person wants to stop texting you, by all means, let them. Yeah. It's more than that, mm -hmm. you know, but it's you, I feel X in situation Y and I would like you to do this. Wonderful. And so in the example of the dishes, how could that have been expressed using this method? I think it could be when I ask you to do the dishes or when you don't do the dishes after, after I asked you, asked you mm -hmm. knowing that in the, situ the situation why I've been taking care of the kids all morning, I'm exhausted and I feel like I'm the only one working. So there's the feel again. I need you to tell me I'm not going to do the dishes, but I'm going to order pizza and do the dishes after or stop what you're doing and do the dishes. It's validate what I'm saying because nonviolent communicate. If you think about it, when you feel like someone is being violent against you or in a situation that you have to witness, what is happening is that someone is very uncomfortable. Yeah. And someone's feeling like they don't matter as much as the others. And even when we talk about uh, biases and we talk about inclusivity in communication, when you don't include somebody, you're being violent. When you don't use words that the person can understand, violence can happen in academia. If I start using a bunch of words that nobody else understands, mm -hmm. I'm being violent. I'm telling people who are there trying to listen to me that they're not welcome, that they can't even keep up with what I'm saying. So when you think about nonviolent communication, the first thing to understand is empathy and how capable we are of being nice mm -hmm. and being loving because we're capable of both. Yeah. And it's choosing to do that. Mm. Does that mean that I'm never going to yell? Oh, God, ask my teenage daughter how <laughs> violent I can be yeah. in my communication <laughs> daily. Mm -hmm. But it's the understanding also that when you know the tools and you're committed to at least using them every now and then, yeah. you can even fix some of the things that you've done in a way that you're not so proud of. Oh, that's wonderful. And this was actually one thing that we've agreed to do is that we're going to have weekly check-ins where we just express gratitude, but then also possibly some things that we were less happy about and do it using this, this framework. And I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm also really thankful that I have a partner who would be open to such a conscious yeah, that is um, amazing. engagement. Yes. So let's talk about some of the fundamental concepts because it's not just the four steps. There's a lot more to communication than that and to nonviolent communication. So the first is observe without evaluating. I know we kind of touched on this, but I was hoping that you could still go back and just kind of restate what is the difference between observation and evaluation. 
okay, let's go to the basic. Like, imagine we're back in school. If I'm evaluating your work, I'm already giving you a grade. So I'm already saying, and here, you know, and here she comes again late or, oh, here she goes with her excuse that she couldn't deliver the work on time because the computer shut down or the internet connect. Like when I do that, the way I say it, you can hear it in my tone of voice. Yeah. I'm not believing you. This is not an observation. This is me almost telling you how I feel already without even saying much. So some re- I'm, I'm frustrated about something that you're doing that I don't understand, or I believe that I would do differently. So observation without evaluation is literally not assuming. Don't assume things in a situation when you're going to describe the situation to yourself. And the thing with our brains is that it's very fast. It's going to evaluate very fast. That's how we've survived, right? Over all these generations and generations. Yes understanding that we do that, understanding our biases, that's when we are able to say, okay, I thought she was doing this because she doesn't care about our commitment and that's Mm -hmm. why she didn't show up or that's why she's always late or that's why she doesn't dress accordingly. I told her it was a business meeting and it looks like she just came from the beach. I have heard it all. (laughs) working with nonviolent communication, you'd be so surprised with the detail of things that bother the other person. And we don't know why. So if we're the ones who are committed to being less violent in the way we communicate, we have to understand that we, the other person may not be able to observe something without evaluating, but we can. That is such a good point and something I meant to bring up earlier. You know, can this be one-sided? If you have these skills, can you still improve your relationships if the other person doesn't necessarily? When you use the example of your father, I did register a question in my brain of whether or not he knows NBC. (laughs) Well, now. (laughs) He's 47 now and he's in his 70s. So he's improved a lot. And the funny thing about my father is that at work, he was very good at it, but not at home. And that's why I go back to the tool. The tool without consciousness, it's still a tool. It's still an asset that you can use at work, like being good with, I don't know, Excel sheets or whatever people are using these days. It's still a tool. It can be even used to manipulate somebody with consciousness is where you get to really not being violent because when you're manipulating someone is extremely violent, but you can do it using the tools of nonviolent communication. So when you're the only one who's committed to being nonviolent, long-term, the environment will feel it. And then they'll start understanding that it's easier to communicate that way. Short-term, I'm not going to lie, it can be quite exhausting because you have a feeling that you're doing all the work Mm because you're being empathic and you're being empathic to a depth that you have to understand what the person's going through and you have to understand that the person's not capable of understanding you. So that can, can be tricky in the beginning. So it's great when you have a partner like you, that the person is there with you, you know, saying, let's try this yeah. together. Mm-hmm. If the other person doesn't want to, well, then it's very important that you understand nonviolent communication <laughs> because very important conversations are on the menu. And, yeah. and 
I think with most things, you know, if you're really passionate about something, you don't, especially when it comes to personal development, you don't necessarily need to try and corral your partner to also be equally passionate about it. But I would say in this case, this would probably be something that would be good to have your partner be receptive about. (laughs) I know of couples that one person was very committed to nonviolent communication and the other person was extremely violent in her communication. And of course, if you understood where she was coming from, you could understand how people communicated inside her house when she was growing up and she was just projecting everything that she had learned. But I know that with time, the person who was very violent understood that her partner could get more things she wanted said, oh, you have better relationship with the, with your colleagues. Oh, you have a better relationship with your siblings than I do with mine. Your friendships are so much more meaningful. And it became something that they understood came with that way of communicating. They're still not capable of doing it very well, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) they got much better. I, I have to say that. And maybe not because they were studying it, but we also teach by example. Yes, so, that's true. Yeah, yeah so if I'm listening if to you open. without interrupting you, in a sense, I'm uh, I'm teaching you to to do the same. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. And just so everyone knows, an example of how to learn this that's given in the book that I really enjoy. The author Marshall Rosenberg gives examples of how to state things, and then you get to choose whether or not you think it's in line with the concept. So in the book where it says observation or evaluation, there's a list of 10 statements that people made, and you get to go through and circle which one is an observation or not. For instance, John was angry with me yesterday for no reason. Another one. Sam didn't ask for my opinion during the meeting. My father is a good man. Henry is aggressive. So I'm not going to necessarily give the answers, but I'm just saying it's a really great resource. And then for each statement, he actually gives like a paragraph explanation (laughs) for why it is an observation or evaluation. So wonderful. Thank you. So the next one that I wanted to talk about is express how we are feeling. I think that this is something people really struggle with. And the book, again, gives like hundreds of feelings that you can use as a tool. So how, why is this important and how do we start to do it? I think it's important because at first we don't know it. Like I said before, you know, it's like, we just don't know how we're feeling. Most of the time we have no idea. We can go back to, I don't know, maybe four or five different feelings during the day. I was happy. Then I got frustrated. Then I was angry. So angry because she did this or the example that you gave, John didn't ask me for my opinion during the meeting. I'm so angry at him. Are you really angry? Is that really what you're feeling? Because there are other emotions there. Is it that you don't feel valued? Is that you felt like that he doesn't value your opinion as much as he valued the others? What is it really? Or is it triggering something that happened before? Like, do you come from another work environment where, where you never had a chance to speak? And then that one time that he didn't ask you. So it's very complicated because we tend to go to very simple feelings. And we yes, forget. angry or happy, sad, exactly. pissed off. <laughs> and we forget everything else that we can feel. And it's beautiful in the book because the, the book has a, an amazing list. Online, you can find endless lists of uh, expressing yourself and what feelings are you have a wheel of feelings and needs also yes. that <laughs> download that's also very amazing but here that we're just talking and trying not to look at it as textbook material all the time 
I, I joke a lot about my personal life. Uh, my brother, for example, he used the word curious a lot. So instead of saying, I'm thrilled that I'm going to see my friends again after 10 years, he would say, I don't know, I just have such a curious feeling inside of me. Or then he would say, you know, I met my ex-girlfriend last night and she told me she is engaged. And I said, well, how did you feel? He was like, I don't know. It was like curious or like interesting. And then one day I was at a bookstore and I saw this book called An Emotionary. Oh, that's it's cool. It's a kid's book. Oh, okay. And I got it for, <laughs> I got it for my brother. <laughs> so I believe an emotionary is something that we lack, all of us. Maybe we're not as bad as my brother but for all of us we tend to 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 go back to the same words it's easier it becomes look if, if we start talking about language we go back to the same words because they become a mark of how we speak it's a pattern of uh, the place where we grew up but the truth is when we're talking about feelings and emotions we just don't know that many mm-hmm. i'm just trying to think what are some of my go-to words but i think th- this is a perfect example of why it's good to learn some of these things because i must be completely unconscious of what mine are because i nothing's even coming to me but i'm sure i have them um, normally, I do say normally we are. <laughs> I do say devastated a lot. De- I say devastated a lot also. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm so frustrated. <laughs> yeah, frustrated, devastated. Yeah. So, and just and some examples from the book. So, we just gave an example of feelings that we would be likely to feel when our needs are not being met, which would be frustrated, irritated, pissed, devastated. Some other examples of words we could use disgusted, forlorn, nervous, overwhelmed, detached, shaky, much more, much more specific. So I think it's good to be, uh, become more descriptive just in in general as we're, as we're talking. Even if we don't want to tell the person, sometimes when we're in a relationship where we're not ready to be vulnerable in front of the other person. Yeah. Just so that you understand it yourself. So you understand that when you're yelling at someone, you're complaining that somebody is late constantly when they're supposed to meet you, that you understand where it comes from. Yep. That's Why the next is thing. it that it bothers you so much? Well, how like, can I'm, we do that? Acknowledging the root of our feelings is a big part of nonviolent communication. And it's yes. something that I have been, I actually think that I'm pretty good at this in my personal life, but it's something that I've worked on for a long time. So because what does it easy. mean and how can people start to do it? Because it's not easy and it's a lot about self-observation. It's about being courageous enough to understand our true feeling. What is it? that you're feeling, go back to it. In what other situations have you felt the same way? So I've been told that I'm very strict with my partners and friends, especially when it comes to things that I consider ethical. So those are things that I consider. So my moral judgment is already there. And I am very stubborn to the point that I'm saying, yes, I know, but that's how I want it. But that's just very silly of me sometimes to not be willing to put in the work. So that's why I say nonviolent communication can sometimes help you stay in a very healthy relationship, but it sometimes can just help you break up in Mm -hmm. an easier way. Yeah. Because yeah, there are times if we're communicating so well, very fast, we're going to come to the conclusion of whether we are, we can continue together or not. Are we looking forward 
to the same goals? Do you, do, do we want the same things out of life? And does that matter or not? Because it may change. Maybe for you, it's like, we don't, but for right now, I just want to be with you and not be thinking about 10 years from today. And I might say to you, I'm sorry, but in order to feel safe, I need to know what you want 10 years from today. I don't need you to guarantee that you're going to be there, but I need to know what you want. And then it's so beautiful when you understand that feeling. And it's like, why do you need to know? And in my case, I need to know because I was raised moving every two years because of my parents' work. So I need to know what your intention is, even if we change it in two years. If you don't tell me, I feel completely unsafe because I've had to deal with this. How did I come to this conclusion? Reading a lot into myself, understanding Every time that I got frustrated, that I felt like somebody wasn't being loyal to me, this loyalty thing, you know, if you, if you talk to me, if you come to my workshops, not the ones that are not the corporate ones, but if you come to LA events, for example, you'll see me, you'll hear me talk a lot about my personal life and you will see that I go back to this trust, loyalty, trust, loyalty. And then you understand my life. I need to have it. I'm moving every two years. I'm making new friends. I'm. This is like back in the day before we had WhatsApp. I'm leaving friends and boyfriends behind. I need loyalty all the time. I need to believe that when I turn my back, you're defending me. Otherwise, it puts me in a position where I can't even have a conversation with yeah. you. But I, I understand just, that need. Yeah, and I was just having this conversation with my partner as well the other day. And I was just kind of expressing how I really value people who have my back and who stand up for me. And partially because I come from a really big family and I have brothers who never stood up for me. I don't think they cared anything about me. It was not a drive for them at all. But I was, I always heard stories growing up about how w girls had brothers that would stand up for them and be there for them and have their back and protect them. I never had that growing up. I was always jealous when I would hear these stories about brothers who were so protective. I thought that sounded great. And so it's, why? Just, it's a, what did you feel? What did we, what do we protect in life? The things, the things that we that love, the things that are valuable, the things that we really value. Yeah. So when they didn't protect you, mm -hmm. you probably felt so maybe they don't value me or maybe even worse, you could, because now you're a strong woman, but back then you could have thought maybe I'm not as valuable as the, the girls who are being protected by their brothers. Yes. And that, that there, right there is something that you're going to carry for a very long time. Even mm -hmm. if you're aware of it. You have to keep it in check and go back to that feeling. What is the feeling then? And what is the want? What, the, what do you then want me to do as your friend? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know? yeah, def definitely it comes to play in my friendship relationships yeah. <laughs> as Mine well. Too. Though I definitely, I have a an, an awareness of it. I also had some experiences when I was living in Australia where I felt like people kind of abandoned me quite quickly when I had some, some legal problems. And it did make me feel and kind of question momentarily, does this, what does this mean about me as a person who, when exactly. I have friends who I've been friends with for years who are just like, boom, I'm out. But yeah. I was able to, you know, understand that it was triggering, you know, like this thing from my childhood and also that it had a lot more to do with them than me, but it took me a while to get there. <laughs> and it hurts. Oh yeah. Oh, even then. if you know it, it still hurts. So yeah. with nonviolent communication, also it's important to say it's not a magic pill. It's not like, oh, now I can communicate in a way that's less violent. And that means that I will never have a problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. come on, my list of exes are there to prove that 
I'm still going to break up. I'm still going to have bad relationships. Yeah. I'm still going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It's really a tool to make, this is going to sound uh, so utopic, but it's true. It's like, it's uh, what we want is to create the environment around us to be a more welcoming place and uh, a place where you feel like you belong with the people that you've brought to be close to you. I think one of the worst feelings when I talk to teenagers, and I haven't done it in a while, but I used to, 10 years ago, I used to go to all these different high schools. People would invite me to talk to teenagers about nonviolent communication. So often I heard, I feel like a fish out of water in my house. Hmm. That is your house, that's your home. What do you learn when you grow up in a place where you feel out of place? You learn that either everyone has to be exactly like you, so you feel okay, Or you learn that that's okay, that love can also come with not feeling like you matter, like the way that you are is as valued as whatever the majority was in your house. And it's very dangerous. We carry these things around us. It is violent. Yeah, I feel emotional because I actually kind of I'm very upset with someone in my personal life right now because um, and someone who I had like a friendship that I've really tried to nurture and someone who I've kind of taken under my wing. I found out, you know, that there were some confidences breached and I just uh-huh. I instantly was just like, boom, we're like, I just can't I can't do this because I just there, felt there like I was like, building a f- Yeah. And like I was kind of like building a family and. I look, it's something I'm struggling with to decide like how, how I want to move forward and if, but yeah. I, I feel a little emotional because I'm actually completely estranged from my family. And so when I'm, you know, like intentionally bringing people around me, I want so desperately to think like this is going to last and this means something. And so when it's violated or when I feel that it is violated, <laughs> it's really hard for me to take, like devastating. <laughs> Yeah, I think the important thing there also is to understand that, yes, we, we have to, to keep ourselves in check. Like, how am I observing the situation? Yeah. But also that there will come points where you have to understand that no is okay. That part of finishing a, a nonviolent dialogue is sometimes to end it, is sometimes to say, okay, so I understand you and you understand me and we have to take some space. We, we have to, to get some distance between us. And that's why I say sometimes it hurts because nonviolent communication is not going to make you bulletproof to feelings. It's the opposite. It's the understanding of it to a point where you're aware of the things that aren't working for you and exactly what you need. And you have to understand that to be nonviolent, when I ask of something, and this is very important, I have to be ready for the no, because otherwise I'm imposing. And then I'm being violent again. And that yes, I mean, the hard. thing with my boyfriend would have been perfect if he needed to work or if he wanted to work. And I said, I would like to talk or chat or have you text me back. And he really needs to focus. How does that accept that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Which would have been I fine. Can't. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. But we are afraid because we're used to very violent communication. Mm-hmm. So we're used to not being able to tell the truth all the time. And if you say, I want to chat and I say, I want to work in my head, I'm thinking based on my past experience, oh, maybe she's going to think that I don't want to talk to her, that Mm -hmm. I prefer to work, which is also okay. 
that at this moment I prefer to work yes. instead of talking to you. But maybe you will perceive that. And there <laughs> goes the perception and the evaluation <laughs> and what we put into the other person's uh, perceptions and positions and actions. It's a practice. Just like you can't go to the gym for a month and then say, okay, body, now I'm done. I'm going to stop going to the gym, but you keep on giving me the same results. That would have been beautiful. With nonviolent communication, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, so I'm going to do it so well for a month and then I'm going to stop. Sorry, it's it's not going to work. That's a good reminder. Thank you. We're going to pause for a very quick commercial break and then we're going to come back and talk about how we can do this and also the boogeyman in the closet when it comes to communication and that is expressing anger. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome back, everybody. I hope that this has been helpful to you. It's been helpful to me. So selfishly, I don't know, even if no one happens to listen, I'm glad that we're having this talk. <laughs> I'm feeling very privileged, you know, that I have you in front of me to, <laughs> to pick your brain about some of this. This has been really, really useful. We've got a few more things. I thought that it might be beneficial to a lot of people, especially because so many of my listeners have gone through breakups recently. Let's talk about anger. It's a very human emotion. It's hard to avoid. I tried to avoid it for quite a long time and thought that I wasn't an angry person. I, I mean, I don't think that's a good descriptor, really. But I felt like it was something that just didn't make itself present in my life very often. I do think I'm you know, laid back and generally good at some of this. But there's been a couple times really recently where I'm like, what? <laughs> and so let's talk about what it means to express anger fully, why it's important, and maybe also how we can do it in the moment. Yeah. Okay. Now <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> depending on whose study of nonviolent communication you're going to follow, we okay. can go in many different directions and that's oh. beautiful. All right. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, if you're going to Google it, if you're going to look for different people talking about nonviolent communication, you will see that there will be people who are going to say ice, a very angry conversation for a while, like put it on ice and then come back to it. Mm. And some people who are going to say, just use the anger. If you can really trust the person inside of you, in front of you, just, just do it right then and there. Don't wait. Because the idea is, why are we so afraid of being angry? And we are afraid of being angry because we can get very violent and we can do things that later we regret, even if they're nonverbal, even if it's oh, yeah. just that I am so angry that I'm going to make you pay for what you did to me by not talking to you or by turning my back or by walking away. And again, that's the thing with communication, right? That's the empathy. Some people, they just can't talk when they're very angry they have yeah. to let it simmer they have to digest the situation they have to come back that's something that ideally has to be discussed before you're angry but sometimes that's not how we do it i always tell my friends when they're having like a hard time in their relationships every time we're angry every time we have a fight then he brings back this or that and then i always say write it down on a notebook and remember to talk about it when you're not having a fight. Like remember to address whatever the issue is, be it dishes or where to go on vacation or how much to spend on a gift to your in-laws. Try to do it again out of that situation. 
80% of the time it works. But talking about anger itself, it's this little monster we believe, right? It's like this thing that we can't control. It's the ugliest side of all of us. Yeah. But the first thing is we have to acknowledge that it's a very powerful emotion. It's so powerful that sometimes it helps us get over a breakup or somebody. Mm -hmm. I've heard it so many times working with different women in 150 different countries. (laughs) When they break up, they say, you know what? I am now angry. And they celebrate it. I'm sure you hear this every day. Yes. (laughs) I am finally angry at this Mm -hmm. person. So anger is beautiful. Anger is powerful. It's a motivation. It moves us forward. Of course, in a dialogue, when we're trying to end a problem or to address an issue in our relationship, letting anger take over can be something very dangerous, especially because each of us deals with our anger in a different way. So are you the kind of person who speaks and then you regret about something that you have said? Are you the kind of person who's just going to stop talking, will block the per- what who are you? Again, we go back to that understanding of who we are. Can you really look into your feeling, into your emotion, your feeling anger? Do you understand what for? What are you angry about? So I guess that's the first thing in nonviolent communication is this exercise of understanding yourself. I'm extremely angry because she betrayed me. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are you angry really about? You know, are you angry that she told your secret? Are you angry that she told it to that specific person? Mm -hmm. Are you angry that she then didn't tell you that she had met? What is it? And then, of course, in the moment when you're angry, Who's, who cares about nonviolent communication when oh, you're exploding with your partner <laughs> after something, you know? Yep. So I'm not going to be, yeah, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say, come on, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Stop, observe, analyze the situation. <laughs> you know, what are you feeling? What do you want? Yeah. Go back to that recipe. Mm-hmm. Maybe that, but that maybe that's something that you can do it 20 minutes later. Yep. I mean, it is possible. I do think that it's something that we do have power over. I know people have very physical responses to anger and that makes them feel like they need to lash out in the moment. I actually did an episode called Anger and Breakups a little while ago that I'm going to link in the show notes. And I had a close friend come on who talked about how she used to struggle with being very explosive in her relationships and that she actually went to anger management and really got it under control. And it was a beautiful conversation because she was very vulnerable and she learned a lot about her triggers, a lot about how to deal with it. So everybody go if you want to check out that episode in the show notes. But that's amazing because you mentioned someone who went to anger management. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful because, like I said, each of us will handle our anger in a different way. When I am angry in a discussion, if I'm having a philosophical discussion or even a work-related discussion and I get angry at something that's happened there, I know that I am someone who can talk to the point that I shut the other person up. But then what did I really accomplish? I went back to that idea that I won the dialogue. Where does this come from? And again, oh my God, my poor dad. I love my dad. I'm just blaming him for everything today. I'm just using him as an example because we're oh, that's not how it's coming across. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and I think I was raised by this man who to me was a, this a very smart, brilliant man, self-made. 
and um, who overcame everything that could have gone wrong in his life to become someone who's very important in his field of work. To argue with my father was not easy growing up. So of course I come from this idea that you win an argument. Someone shuts up and the one who's still left speaking is the winner. I tend to go back to that when I'm very angry. And I tend to, I have a very good memory. I think that's one of my best assets is my memory. So I tend to use my memory. So if I'm in an argument with you, I use my memory about the topic, whatever it is that we're discussing, to get to a point where you shut up because I remember dates. I remember facts. <laughs> I remember the book. I can quote a hundred different people. What do we get in the end? Then I fast realized that I didn't do what I wanted. And I believe it's human to then start another conversation and say, you know, I was thinking about what you said. And I just want, I want to hear more. Could you explain again why you felt the need to, um, reply to me this is something that i think happens frequently why did you reply to all instead of replying just to me regarding that topic that okay. you knew that i hadn't done right or in a romantic relationship it's like why did you wait until my friends arrived to then say that i never pick a good gift how come you never said that before mm-hmm. that dirty laundry that we decide to wash in front of everyone yeah. else because we believe that we are not being validated in the relationship. So mm-hmm. when you're telling me it's becoming an argument and something that I'm saying, well, that's how you feel. That's not what I'm doing. That's how you feel. To the point that you feel the need to tell others so someone will agree with you and then you can go, ha-ha, told you. Huh. Yeah. That's anger. That's a lot of anger that we're keeping inside. Each mm-hmm. of us will deal with uh, anger in a different way. There is... Um, a beautiful dialogue between two people that I like a lot. And I think they're great thinkers of our time right now. Uh, Yuval Harari and Esther Perel. And they sit to talk about fighting, if I'm not mistaken. And this you, you can find online. And it's beautiful because he talks about it from the standpoint of nations. And she brings it to couples. Right. And Send me a link. Think, I'll link it in the show notes. Everyone go please. and grab that. It's amazing. And he starts by saying something along the lines of when you cannot listen to what the person's saying, okay, think about this. You're angry. Think about the last time that when you really felt that you, like very angry, when you cannot listen to what the person wants to say and you have nothing to say to that person, what is left? You want to fight? You want war? And then again, with nonviolent communication, you got to go and ask yourself why, what it is that, that, that you're really feeling. And then Asa Perel is one of the people who will say, put it on ice, that argument, mm-hmm. wait for it to simmer down. And that's okay. That's one way to do it. While other people will say, sit down and don't get up. Because so many people say, you know, if you're in a relationship, in a romantic relationship, never go to bed without resolving an issue. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is it always possible? It depends. What are the agreements? Yep. When it comes to nonviolent communication, I think the key is in listening, not just to the other person, but also to yourself, but really listening. 
So this leads really well to one of the last things that I wanted to touch on. And what does nonviolent communication have to do with the relationship we have with ourselves? And one of the components of the book, and that is connecting compassionately with ourselves. So when you think about empathy and what that means and how we are capable of being empathic towards people that we have never met, that's one of the most beautiful things that we can do as humans. And nonviolent communication invites you to tap into that. It's like understand. And it's not just understand in the, in the sense of, do I understand the words that you're speaking? It's understand the feeling. Understand. Be okay with yourself. Be forgiving with yourself. Because it's also hard sometimes. For us, sometimes it's easier for me to understand where you're coming from than to understand something that I consider a shortcoming in my actions. So when we're talking about empathy and this connection, it's this consciousness that makes nonviolent communication beautiful. If you read the book, for example, you will see that if you read it and you're not really committed to trying it and you yeah. don't have an open mind, you can close the book in the first chapter. You're going to say, you know, this is utopia. It's never going to happen. I can't do it. How am I going to communicate with whoever, my daughter, my teenage daughter, my mother, my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend who's cheated on me? I want to be violent against him. Yeah, he deserves <laughs> it. <laughs> but do you but do you deserve it? Mm -hmm. You know? And oh, then yeah, when you talk about nonviolent communication and empathy with yourself, do you deserve that? Because, yeah, maybe the other person does, but what does that bring you? And I guess that's like so beautiful about trying to be nonviolent. It's like being nonviolent with yourself. Yes, thank you so much. And I also just want to point to yet another episode that just came to mind, and that's self-forgiveness after a breakup. I will link to that as well. I um, love that one. So we're going to wrap up, but let's, I would really like to go over some steps that an individual and a couple, because I know that this would look very differently depending on if it's one person who's trying to practice this and two people who want to practice it together. So can you first tell us if you're an individual listening and you'd like to perhaps either go to work or into your familiar relationships or into your dating life and use this, what would be some steps to take that don't necessarily involve taking an entire class? <laughs> because that might not be realistic or accessible to all people. I think the first step to nonviolent communication is, and I'm going to sound so repetitive now, <laughs> is listening. Okay. Is thinking, just being honest with yourself. Can you really listen? And when you're listening, what kind of things do you like to listen to? Because we're very good at listening to things that we're interested in. So yeah. if we're all going through breakups and we're going to listen to one of your podcasts, we're listening because there's something that we need. And this goes back to what anybody who, who, who studies nonviolent communication will tell you is this idea that we only take action when there is a need. So we take the action of listening because we need it at that moment. The idea with nonviolent communication is to activate this listening that is de deliberate and intentional when we don't necessarily think that we need it. Understanding the common goal, I think, is very important, especially if you're doing this as a couple. 
what is it in the end that you want? What is the common goal? Is the common goal to end the conversation? Because sometimes it is. Sometimes one of the people is thinking, I just have to end this conversation because I can't be late to the game, because I can't be late to my friend's party. I need this conversation to end. But are we brave enough to tell the person in front of us that that's what we need to do? Mm-hmm. And are we afraid that the person then is going to think we don't value the relationship? So I think the first step is the listening part. Listening takes courage. Okay, It's not as easy as it sounds. It takes a lot of courage because listening is listening someone you love dearly tell you that what you're doing is not enough, that what you're doing, thinking that you're not doing anything much is hurting them. Listening is tough. Is listening to your boyfriend say, I cannot chat with you right now because right now I prefer to work. I cannot have this argument with you right now. And I love you very much. And I want us to come to it. But I don't want to miss the game that I've been waiting one month right. to watch. And it's on right now. Mm-hmm. And I know I can record it, but I don't want to record it. Mm-hmm. So for me, that would be the way to start. Can you listen? Are you brave enough to listen? For me, that's the beginning and the key of nonviolent communication. Yep. Asking questions and then listening to to the answers. I personally feel very inspired um, about this right now and on improving my own communication. I think that we all could improve in some some area and I think do things better when it comes to other people. And I've actually made a couple notes of my own here that I'm going to, yeah, things I'm going Are to- Are you going to share it with us? Integrate. Well, I, I mean, I, the thing that I just wrote down was what is our common goal? I think that that's-, that's a really beautiful thing that a couple can can keep in mind. Yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to starting to have these weekly chats that I'm going to do uh, with my partner. And I think that that's, I think when it comes down to avoiding conflict, that that could be a good place to start. And I think the beauty of nonviolent communication is that it's been used as a tool for many, many years. If you think back movies in the 90s, The Negotiator, or even if you listen to different TED Talks, you know, people who are hired to help families, countries, so many different things happening, groups of people that are having a hard time communicating, people are hired to go there and help them, mediators. I mean, so many of us, I know so many mediators. That's amazing. It all comes down to, if you listen to any of their speeches, listening. Can you listen to what the other person's saying? Can you understand that in a conversation, we must not know where we're going to go? Because if I know exactly where the conversation is going to go, that just means that I want to drive you there. I just want to convince you of mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And that's not a conversation. Right. That's, that's playing chess. Mm-hmm. I want to win again. I want to make so, the other person feel bad. I want to get the other person to apologize. Exactly. Yes. So with nonviolent communication, you have to understand that it is violent if you just want to convince the person to do what you want. You cannot know the outcome of a conversation because if you know it, then it's not a conversation. It's a speech. Brilliant. This has been 
Absolutely wonderful. Thank you. My mind is just going like a hundred miles a minute right now. So that's why I'm not, not being like being as engaged because I'm just like, wow, you just blew my mind with that. Thank you so much. I'd like to challenge all of the listeners over the next week. Can you select one time where you will just listen and also keep in mind when it comes to your conversations, what is your goal? I challenge you to do that over the next week. Thank you for being here. Thank you for everything that you do for the world. (laughs) And thank you for everything that you've shared. Thank you for having this as a big part of your career. I'm sure that it helps uh, a lot of people. I I hope so. I like to believe so. But thank you so much for having me here. It's uh, quite interesting because I think it's the second time I've been here with you in your podcast. But I just feel like we do it so often because you come to Ella (laughs) every, every month. And yeah, I almost feel like this dynamic... It's so familiar to being here with you and everyone who's listening. Yeah, being violent is sometimes in our nature and it's not a bad thing, but it's beautiful when we learn to be nonviolent with ourselves and those around us. It's yeah, it's amazing. Sounds like a good place to end things. Thank you again. I'll see everyone next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to X-Files podcast. I sincerely hope that you found today's episode inspirational or useful. I would love to support you on your healing journey. All you have to do is send me a message through the X-Files Instagram account, and I will personally be in touch to get you started. Remember, if you are struggling with a broken heart, your feelings are temporary. I am sending you so much love and luck for the week ahead. You've got this.